It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Talk shoes. Recorded live. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Talking Twilight Zone. Hey, guys, look! It's the real Buzz Lightyear! You're mocking me, aren't you? Oh, no, 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 no. Buzz, look at Alien! Where? Ah! You open this door with the click of a mouse. Beyond it is a world of sound, thought, and opinion. In-depth discussions of television's greatest blending of science, superstition, imagination. And you're invited along. For the next 30 minutes, we'll be talking Twilight Zone. folks, I'm Lynn. I'm your host for Talking Twilight Zone, and I'm here with my wonderful co-hosts, Bobby Near, Robert, and Dave. Hello. <laughs> As um, Rod would say, we have clues to today's show. What could those clues be? Oh, I really love that. <laughs> oh. See, Lynn and, just likes to stop and listen to the music, so... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to welcome everyone who's here today. We've got Bear Fan Ron. Hi, Ron. Happy Saturday to you, too. And, of course, we have Rick Wall. And we have Ed. Ed will be here shortly. And we have, uh, well, our, of course, my wonderful co-host, Bobby Neer, and Dave, and Robert. And that's... He like is marvelous. Simply marvelous. Marvelous. <laughs> marvelous. <laughs> you are marvelous, Bobby. Simply marvelous. <laughs> today, we have one of the Twilight Zone's most memorable episodes up for discussion. It's called Five Characters in Search of an Exit. And Robert, my dear, please provide the opening clip for that. I certainly will. And now, Mr. Serling. Clown. Hobo. Ballet dancer. Bagpiper and an army major. A collection of question marks. Five improbable entities stuck together into a pit of darkness. No logic, no reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. In a moment, we'll start collecting clues as to the whys, the whats, and the wheres. We will not end the nightmare. We'll only explain it. Because this is the Twilight Zone. Thank you, Robert. We appreciate that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, an army major in uniform, he wakes up and he finds himself trapped inside a large metal cylinder where he meets a clown who introduces him to the others who happen to be a hobo and a ballet dancer and a bagpiper. 
but none of them has any memory of who they are or how they became trapped in that cylinder. The major, of course, being the newest arrival, is the most determined to escape from the cylinder. And they all tell him there's no way out except the ceiling, and that's too high to reach. But nonetheless, he investigates and he tries everything he can to find an exit. And the major starts questioning all of the, the other people, and he, that reveals that the characters have no need for food, water, and basically they feel nothing in general. They all question where, what, and who they are, but they have no memory, nothing. Uh, the ballerina, she informs the major, we're, we're in the darkness. We're nameless things with no memory, no knowledge of what went before, no understanding of what is now, and no knowledge of what will be. So guesses are made about, by all of them, guesses are made by, about where they are and why they're there. And I think it was the, yes, the ballerina, she speculates that they're on another planet or on a spaceship heading towards somewhere. The bagpiper, he wonders if they're all dead. The hobo, he suggests they're all insane and in limbo. And the clown, he claims that they're in, in a dream. They're all part of a dream. But that's not the answer that the major's looking for, you know. And uh, these questions are all immaterial and unsolvable. So the major then concludes that they are in hell. They are indeed in hell. So eventually he comes up with a plan to escape. He, he thinks that they should form a tower of people, each person standing on the other person's shoulders. And the plan almost works, but this loud gong sound shakes the cylinder when the five of them are standing on each other and it sends them tumbling to the ground. So that makes him even more determined, and this time he decides that he's going to use his sword and bits of, of clothing and he's going to make a grappling hook and he's going to get up to the top, he's going to put the sword over the top edge, and he's going to climb up there. And, and this time, he does get to the top, and he does manage to grab onto the edge, and he sits on the edge. Wow, this is great. So as he turns to survey the area surrounding the cylinder, oh, no, he tumbles to the ground. He's gone. He yells, he screams, and then he's gone. So the other characters, they talk about how brave he was, even though they, they think he was foolish, but... The clown then says, well, he may be right. They may be in hell. I found this in the snow. Someone must have dropped. Oh, thank you, dear. I just dropped that in the barrel over there, will you? You don't have very many, do you? Oh, dear, no, not nearly enough. It's for the orphans, you know. Funny, Charlie, and we've only just started. And then the scene cuts to a little girl picking up a doll from the snow, and uh, the doll is dressed as an army major, and this woman is standing out there with a bell, ringing a bell, and she tells the little girl to put the doll back in the barrel with the rest of them, and what is happening is that it is a cylinder that's a Christmas toy collection bin for a, for a child's orphanage, and all characters were nothing more than dolls. So the loud noise that, that was shaking was the handheld bell, which the woman used to attract donations, and the final shot is of the five characters now seen as dolls with their painted faces and glass eyes. And the ballet dancer, this is, this is like the absolute best part, she, her hand moves down and 
rests on top of the major's hand, and you see a tear running down her face. Oh, wow. Memorable, memorable episode. Gotta love it. I mean, can, can, and now think about it. Can any one of us imagine being in a totally empty room, devoid of any doors, windows, objects? I mean, nothing for more than a day or even a few hours. And if that weren't bad enough, you don't know who you are. You don't remember anything about your past life. And to make matters even worse, you're stuck in that empty void with four other strange characters, and they have no clue who they are either. No one knows why they're there. Nobody, nobody knows where they are. And, well, I would think that would be, you know, fairly upsetting. And, and there's another puzzling aspect as well, and that's the horrible gong that keeps sounding off every now and then. I mean, it's enough to make anyone lose their mind. I mean, you can look up and you see something. Yet it looks like it's the sky, but they can't be sure. So it's not a very appealing scenario for anyone, to say the least. But it definitely didn't appeal to the Army Major, and that role was played very well by William Wyndham. I mean, you, you really felt bad for the guy. I mean, he, he wanted to get out of there so badly, and he had to deal with that crazy clown. He was, like, totally over the top. And uh, the lethargic hobo, you know, the hobo's sitting there, like, you know, he, he looked like he just wanted to fall asleep. And the, then you got the ballerina. She's like little Mary Sunshine. And... Um, then let me see who else you have. Oh, oh yeah, and the worst of all, worst of all, you have the bagpipe player. Now, I've got to admit, I don't know how anyone else feels, but I hate the sound of bagpipes. I can't stand it. I mean, they're, they're, it's probably one of the most horrible-sounding instruments in the world, and I've always compared it to the sound of a room full of cats all having their tails step on, step on at the same time. <laughs> so being, yeah, I mean, seriously, I mean, being stuck in, you know, being stuck in in an empty room with that bagpipe player for any length of time would, I would be convinced I was in hell definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, the major the major was right. I, <laughs> you know, but in his case, you know, it wasn't because of the bagpipe player. It was because there seemed to be no escape. You know, no way of getting Probably out there. Probably felt as bad as the dogs um, barking jingle bells at Christmas time every year. That's pretty bad. That could be annoying. Well, Robert, you now see. I have to disagree with something that you mentioned in your review. You said in your review that you would. You said in your review other four characters were just sitting around doing nothing. But you got to now. Don't you remember that? you know, they said that they did a lot to try to get out of there when they first got there. They but just, the thing is, we're coming in the tail end of that situation. It did explain, yeah, we tried this, you know, we tried to get out. But the thing is, you're coming in at the time. Yeah, they gave up. So that's why they're not doing nothing. It's it's not the point that they didn't do anything beforehand. It's at the point of the major being there. You know, the bow is dancing and the bagpiper and then yeah, the clown they, they gave throws up. some philosophy really out. So, yeah, that's what I meant by my yeah. comment on that. So. Oh, by the way, I, I would like to also, I would like to welcome Ed and I want to welcome Felix. Felix is back. Oh, yes. And, oh, yeah. All, From Joyzy. Hey, Felix. Joyzy. Felix and Joyzy. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we've got Ed and all the good people are back here. Hey, yes. guys. How you doing? <laughs> hey. Ed. Hey, Ed. How are you? But anyway, we're good. And anyway, um, 
so the thing was, you know, they, they did try to do some stuff in the beginning, but then they kind of gave up, you know, and they never thought of standing on each other's shoulders. And, you know, it didn't turn out in the, uh, the first time the way they hoped. But then again, it did work the second time. They, they, he did manage to get to the top, and he fell over, which was sad. But, uh, you know, at least he, he tried. And, you know, but, and the other thing, I know some people in the past thought that this constituted a Christmas episode, but no, it does not constitute a Christmas episode. Now, here is another thing where we'll have a situation with that, too, is, okay, let's throw this movie in, and do we consider this, this is another one that's controversial about if it's a Christmas movie or not, Die Hard. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Even though the setting is in Christmas. I never thought of Die Hard as a Christmas movie. (laughs) No. You, you, I see some think people it think it is. Yeah. I think it is. But really? there's others that don't. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, of all the Christmas settings, I mean, it's all involving a Christmas party that I guess his wife at the time was having, and he's coming in to um, join her. And also Die Hard 2, you have hmm. elements of that as okay. being the next year. You are talking about, okay. You're talking about Die Hard is in the Bruce Willis movie. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen no, him in never... so long. Because you think about it, it does constitute, you don't know it is, because this whole time they're in the cylinder, you know, for the first 20-some minutes or whatever, and then then after the major falls out, then you know it is, because you hear the bell, you see the decorations, and, and, you know, that's why I would consider it. But you see it for one minute. But it's set in a Christmas atmosphere, but you don't know that until, like you said, you know, towards the very end. That's why I don't consider it a Christmas story, because you see the, the bin for one minute. Uh, to me, the only two Christmas stories that Rod Sterling wrote, or at least with an actual Christmas theme, Night of the Meek, of course. You know, that was, that was definitely Christmas. Right. Definitely. And changing, changing of the Guard, because that took now, place. Now, see, that one... Mm. But that, that took place at Christmas time. They were Yeah, well, the this spray. one did, too. And remember, no, yeah, but you saw the cylinder for a minute. But in Changing of the Guard, you saw they they sang Christmas well, you heard the music. Again. They were getting off Christmas break. Yeah. But you didn't really the see the lighting. You didn't really see the Christmas atmosphere. Well, I mean, we got, that's the last episode of the season anyway. We're going to be talking more about that when we get up there. But, I mean, the whole the whole point is, when do you consider a Christmas show a Christmas show? Does it got to be thoroughly Christmas from start to end? Well, this you know this originally aired December twenty second, so I mean it, it was clearly yeah. aimed to, to be a Christmas episode. Whether or not you want to call it one, that's kind of subjective. I don't know. I need. I think you need to see yeah. more references to Christmas. And now changing the guard did that because they were getting off a Christmas break. You saw snow on the ground. You saw him coming home and saying, we're going to eat Christmas dinner. And then at the end, you saw them singing Christmas carols. Nah, that was more, come on, you're crazy, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's the difference between 50% Christmas and 20% Christmas? And a minute, one minute of of the damn bin at the end, come on. (laughs) Well... All right, but I but look, I do have one issue with this episode. It's, now, there's, there's, it's objective. Let's it put it is, that way. I guess, yeah. <laughs> but you know, they're supposed to be dolls, right? Okay, now they don't know they're dolls, but they're supposed to be dolls, and they tell the major that they feel no hunger, no thirst, no anything. But when the ba- ballerina falls after their first attempt at climbing to the top, she says she strained her leg and she was rubbing it. So, uh, how could she feel pain? Dolls feel pain? I didn't think that 
she would feel pain. So I'm assuming, you know what I assumed from that? That this little scene was put in there to throw the viewers off in case we were starting to get a clue about them not being human. Maybe Rod threw that in there. You know, and said, well. Kind of like automated, and like robots or yeah, automatons yeah, yeah. or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So he threw it in to look like she had pain, but I don't know how a doll could feel pain. But, and, you know, it was a hell for the dolls. It really was. I mean, it was the, the limbo that the hobo mentioned, and it was a, a hell until some child gets a hold of them and loves them. And, you know, and then none of these five characters. Hmm, do. that sounds familiar. Loves them and holds them. <laughs> and hmm. holds them and loves them, right? Well, none of these characters <laughs> seem like they belonged in hell. I mean, they didn't have an evil nature. The clown, he was annoying as hell, but uh, he wasn't evil. You know, they're all just confused, a little scared. And the ending you like philosophy. Not... I love clouds of sprout philosophy. Why not? Oh God. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the ending now the ending of this episode it ranks up there as one of the best surprise twist endings of the entire series. And when I first saw it years ago, I was blown away by the ending. I, I, I still love watching it's and the interaction between uh, the major and the clown that was priceless. I mean, that that was terrific. And Murray Matheson, he played the clown. He he went on to appear in Twilight Zone the movie in 1983. He was in the Kick the Can segment, and he played the old man at the end who decided not to return to old age. He wanted to stay, you know, uh, a kid. And uh, and of course Susan Harrison, she played a beautiful ballerina. She was a beautiful, beautiful woman. And uh, she didn't have much of a good acting career, though. She acted for approximately seven years. She gave it up in 1963 to devote herself to her family. And she occasionally, um, I read something on IMDb about her. She occasionally appears at film and sci-fi conventions. And Clark Allen, he was a bagpipe player. And he had the least illustrious career. Uh, he had three acting credits and uh, one Broadway role. And the hobo, yeah, he did better. I mean, that was Kelton Garwood, and he appeared in numerous TV series and movies. Uh, he died in 1991 at the age of 63. And, of course, we know William Wyndham. He had an incredibly successful career, and he's still around. I think he's 88 now. So, anyway, this episode will always be a favorite of mine. I rank it five. Classic. So, I'm going to turn mm. this over to Mr. Robert. Thank you, Lynn. Hmm. You're very welcome. Yes, huh? <laughs> <Dan. laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> well, you know how I feel about that. It, oh, it's oh, one of oh, the few. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the few that I actually had to do two ratings to combine one for this episode. And yeah, unfortunately, no. you followed the way I'm going. <laughs> I ain't giving it a five, so. <laughs> <laughs> you can already tell that ahead of time. But, I mean, it was okay for the last three and a half minutes. Then, the first 19 minutes or so, uh, it's boring as crap. I'm sorry, B-O-R-I-N-G, stretching that out. I mean, I, I like the actors. I thought they did a, a, a pretty good job. And, I mean, we talked earlier while Lynn was bringing up the point about um, them not doing anything and, and kind of expressing, well, you know, that was something that we didn't see, that this is kind of the aftermath of the major coming into the picture. They didn't do anything, being this time being maybe exhausted and not really trying 
you know, anymore because they felt it was a, a useless situation to try to get out of. But, uh, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I think when he finally clicks, the Major does, Wyndham, get the um, rope together and get ready to do the action to climb out, that is the part where I give it four out of five. I thought that was great. That last three and a half minutes was, I thought, one of the best parts of this episode. The other 19 minutes, I only give it a two. It, it, I just felt it was very average. See, it comes down to, this is a character piece. And we're trying to get familiar with the characters, trying the, the build stuff up. And when you do character episodes, there's not that much action. There's not that much going on. We're trying to establish the characters. And the thing is, with the Twilight Zone, and we said it time and time again for the last couple of years, you only got 22 minutes to get all this stuff going. Exactly. And it, it, it just, talk, talk, talk is what it felt like to me. I, I, I mean, I had nothing against the characters. If the bagpiper did go into some kind of um, bagpiping piece, then maybe I felt the same way as Lynn would about him. But <laughs> we were fortunately escaped that. Actually, didn't anybody think that that he kind of reminds you of a James Bond character? Remember one time when um, James Bond, I think was it um, the Lazenby one that dressed up in the kilt? Are you talking about bagpiper? You're talking about bagpipe player. Yeah. You know Didn't he remind you of a James Bond type character? No, who? Nope. nope. You know, he reminded me of, I even said that to Bobby today. From the side, he looks just like Charlton Heston. I'm not kidding. If you look at him from the side, he looks like Charlton Heston. So do I. No, that's true. Bobby does too. <laughs> <laughs> I think on on the um, site, you should put a picture of Charlton Heston and Bobby right next to it so we see the similarities. That's a good idea, Bobby. That's that. why she married me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that if Charlton Heston infatuation. That must be it. <laughs> By the way, Felix said that Felix Felix just typed in here the hell reference was scary for him. He didn't like the hell reference while watching it. That was scary for him, and he thought they were dead. Thought they were. And I agree with Felix. He said it reminded me of the movie Cube. And Felix, I did write that in my review. I did mention the movie Cube, and it's a yeah, it was a. A movie, um, I imagine, um, Rick, you're familiar with it because it's basically these people sit in a room trying to figure a way out. And then they find out through the movie that it's all just one big giant cube. So, yeah. Good job, Felix. Very much but if you, remember if you, that you movie. Look, you look at that bagpipe player from the side, and I'm serious. He looks just like Charlton Heston. Okay, I believe you. <laughs> Yeah, really. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and Bear Fan Ron said that you remind him of Christmas. Uh, I told him, ho, 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 back to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what the ho, ho was. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no, yeah, that's... Okay, we'll go on past that there. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I felt pretty much the story was a precursor to uh, one of my uh, favorite animated movies, and I think with the beginning clues, you could guess which it is. And, of course, it's mm -hmm. Toy Story. Of course, written by Whedon himself, uh, Buffy, Angel, Firefly, Dollhouse fame, and also the fantastic new Avenger movie that is out. I went and seen it. 
my wife enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was um, one of um, Whedon's great. Um, I also seen him seen the Cabin in the Woods one, and it was pretty good, but not as excited because the Avengers. I mean, that was a great, you know, pairing from the comic books, and um, mm-hmm. hopefully he'll be back for the um, sequel to it. We'll just have to wait and see. I hadn't heard any news mm-hmm. on that, but. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, there unfortunately in this um episode there wasn't no woody lines like there someone poisoned the water hole, there's a snake in my boot, that old Woody would say. However, in certain situations the toys became alive when they were threatened by the villain of the movie, Sid, and um also the line that Rod says at the end, which you I think you mentioned, Lynn, mm-hmm. is pretty close to the line that's said in the movie. Um, towards the end of the first Toy Story, so it brought up the comment that maybe Whedon might have seen this repeat when he was a kid, and maybe was thinking of the same idea. So, yeah. To delight people out there, I do have some um, Toy Story clips. Awesome. So here is the um, official trailer. Sergeant? Yes, sir. Establish a recon post downstairs. Code red, repeat. We are at Code Red. Recon plan, Charlie. Execute. Move, 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 move. It's a... It's a big one. Walt Disney Pictures presents a totally new animated motion picture event. Star Command, come in. Do you read me? The story of two toys. There seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Hello? Headed for a showdown. My name is Woody. This is my spot. I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. You are a child plaything. You are a sad, strange little man. And playing by their own rules. Draw. Fuck me again. I don't like confrontation. Buzz, look an alien. Where? (laughs) You're mocking me, aren't you? Wingspan. Very good. <laughs> oh, what? What? You can't fly. Yes, I can. Can't. Can. Can't. Can't. Can. This holiday season, the adventure takes off when toys come to life. To infinity and beyond. Toy Story. Look out! Can. That's not flying. That's just falling gracefully. <laughs> that's great. If we remember that line. That is great. And one of my favorite scenes is, of course, this one coming up with um, Sid learning a lesson from Woody himself and the toys. For the sky. Huh? This town ain't big enough for the two of us. What? Somebody's poisoned the water it's busted. Who are you calling busted, Buster? That's right. I'm talking to you, Sid Phillips. We don't like being blown up, Sid. Or smashed. Or ripped apart. We? That's right. Your toys. Find out, Sid. We toys can see everything. 
I love that scene where Woody turns his head 360 degrees. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> like The Exorcist or something. That was good. That was a yeah. good movie. I like that. I think Weenan did a great job on the script for yeah for that. So most most definitely. And also, I know bringing up one of favorite for Lynn Friday the Thirteenth series. That happened to be the pilot episode had to be a, a doll story where they um, doing the origin where they're bringing everybody together at the poor Uncle Lewis and what happened to him mm-hmm. um, didn't um, left our reality for his. And that one is about a uh, little girl that gets a um, haunted doll. Mm-hmm. And um, let me go ahead and play the um, beginning of that. He made a deal with the devil to sell cursed antiques. But he broke the pact, and it cost him his soul. Now his niece Mickey and her cousin Ryan have inherited the store. And with it, the curse. They must get everything back. And the real terror begins. Mom, this is ridiculous. If he had made this immortality pact with the devil, he'd still be alive, wouldn't he? Unless he tried to get out of it. You don't break a pact with the devil. Why? Oh, what happened? Belial? Satan? He wins both ways. In this case, Lewis lost his life. And the antiques remain cursed. What about the antiques we sold? Those too, I should think. The doll. What doll? The doll we sold. The doll in the vault. What are you talking about? I thought it was my imagination. But that doll turned and stared at me like it was alive. Oh, wow. Mary, let's not let your mother know about this, okay? Okay. Can you still talk? I can still do everything, Mary. And more. Nothing like having the pilot start with a creepy doll. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Don't forget the Twilight. Uh, Zone's own creepy doll talking Tina. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, Season five. Man. Yeah, looking yeah, forward to can't that. Wait to get the, that's one of uh, Bobby's very favorites, right? Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I'm going to say anything about it now. Of course. Yeah. Got to say favorite. the best for last <laughs> when we right. get to that point. And um, one last thing before we head over to Bobby, and I mentioned it in my review, was the movie Dolls. It looked like a safe haven from the raging storm. It's an odd kind of place. Who'd your folks get it from, Boris Karloff? Their hosts seemed like the essence of hospitality. Stay here as long as you like. Wonderful. But appearances can be very deceiving. What's the matter? Afraid of the dog? Yeah. Are you scared? Well, of course not. What's there to be afraid of? This house. Oh, don't be. <laughs> so, you like toys? I'm a doll maker. 
I make the most wonderful toys. Dolls, puppets, soldiers, ballerinas. Nobody wants a doll that's special anymore, that's one of a kind. The weather brings out creativity. It helps me in my work. Dolls. You're never too old to play with dolls. Until you're dead. Dolls. And Dolls um, is a very scary thriller movie. And basically the movie is about a toy maker who is in reality a warlock. And where um, oh, people, yeah, <laughs> and people come across. Uh, um, no, the dolls I went, oh the God, when you called a male witch a warlock. Well, that's what some people do. What's the um, a real warlock determination? Is a traitor. Aren't male okay. aren't male witches warlocks? No, I'm a male witch. I am a witch. Oh, all right. So, okay. so well, good what, are, what are you called? What are you called? A witch. <laughs> okay. And but Wicca now, is the uh, what you practice, is that correct? Wicca is what I uh, is my religion and I am right, a witch. Right, WICCA, right. But but wait a minute, why does the war- warlock then? Yeah, why do they a people warlock call? Warlock is a traitor. Oh. Uh, oh, okay. Well, so so in Bewitched in in the, 17 in 1784 a judge called a male witch a warlock only to differentiate the sexes. There is no differentiation in sexes in Wicca. We are all witches. It is like calling a Christian male a Christian and a Christian female a Christina. There is no such thing, right? There is no such thing in Wicca either. I did not know that. So bewitched. Uh, well, I would appreciate that, Rick. I mean, we all I, like to be educated and corrected on things. That, yeah, know. and the sitcom Bewitched is all wrong then, because they they always called the male witches warlock. Most well, so movies are wrong too. Yeah. Most of the fiction is wrong. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hmm, interesting. Well, I'm glad you you cleared that up for us. I really am. That's something interesting to know. All right. Well, well anyway, I was just going to bring up um, with the dolls. Um, that's one of the movies that I like just because of the atmosphere and the um, the dolls coming to life in that one. But with my rating, like I said, I had to do two ratings, and I averaged it out to a three out of five. So I thought, said four, I thought you said 4.5 on the board. In your review, no, you say four um, and a half. To the end, the ending. In the end. Okay. Well, I what I said was, if I was breaking this up into two ratings, I would rate the first 19 minutes a two out of five, and the last three and a half minutes a four out of five. So I will average this out in a right. three out of five. All right. So. Okay. We'll let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I. But I'm at the site and um, check, and I do have it marked as a three. 
Yeah, so. you do. Yeah. All right. And we'll go ahead and pass this on over to Bobby. Why'd you think, Bobby? Well, I would say this, that Robert's right. It is boring. <laughs> it's very boring <laughs> at the beginning. And that's what I like about it, because any time it can start out boring and end up the way it does, that's something special. And indeed, it reminds me of several other episodes prominently coming to mind is Eye of the Beholder, another classic episode that really is, when you get right down to it, very boring during the episode. What's fascinating about watching a woman lay in a hospital bed moaning and groaning about her plastic surgery and whether or not it turned out all right? So big deal. Right. I mean, you, take, you pay your money and take your chances. It's not very fascinating. The only thing fascinating about it is how it ends up and how it turns everything around. The same thing is at work here. It's not terribly interesting watching these characters stand there and whine and carry on and beat the walls and ask where they are and things like this. A little goes a long way with that. However, what I like about this episode is that it's so damned inventive. And again, like I say about a lot of episodes, it, 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 just, it just turns everything around at the end. If you do that, if there's a payoff, then it doesn't really matter how boring it is at the beginning. Now, we're coming off three consecutive shows in which we talked about episodes that are absolutely dreadful. They were all boring at the beginning, boring in the middle, and they ended up boring. It was just impossible to stay awake. In fact, I didn't stay awake. So here you have something that is, it looks a little tedious at the beginning, just how long is this going to go on. But as it goes on, you get involved. And the main, main thing you have to do with a story like this is you have to get the audience involved in it. You can't just put that in front of us and say, okay, take a look at these characters and watch them for 23 minutes. Try to get out of here. But as it goes on, you become part of it. It's so claustrophobic that you start to feel a little edgy yourself. Maybe you're in there too. Maybe you don't even realize it, and you can't get out either. And I think that's where the that's where the episode really does turn around. The acting is very good. Yes, it is. And uh, some of the characters are very annoying, like the clown and the bagpipe player. But you know, you put up with all of that because you have a feeling is uneasy feeling that it's truly going to go somewhere. You're never sure where. Right. Another thing I really enjoyed about the episode is it's very challenging. Now, some Twilight Zone episodes, the really good ones, are indeed like that. They're very challenging. They challenge you to try to figure it out before you get to the end of it. You've been watching the series for some time now, so you know that there's a lot of twist endings, a lot of tricks in it. And so that shouldn't be a big surprise. So after a while, you start to try to beat Rod Serling at his own game. I'll try to figure this out, and there won't be any surprise. At IMDb, two people actually claim that they had this peg from the beginning. I don't know about that. That's easy to say after the fact. Whether they're telling the truth or not, I don't know. But they acted very confident that it was obvious they were dolls. I find it very hard to believe. That certainly wasn't true for me. Another thing I like about the episode is that they start to give things away. I, just speaking for myself, I was trying to figure out what was going on here. At first, because there's a, there's a light at the top of this a cylinder or whatever this is looking down upon them, I thought they might be, might have been captured by aliens and they were under a microscope being studied. But then I believe it's the, I believe it's the clown that says, perhaps we're under a microscope. So that takes care of that. You know you're wrong on that because they wouldn't give it away if that was the case. So that's gone. And then I figured since this is Twilight Zone, perhaps they were captured by aliens and they're just being studied that way and they're on their way to another planet. But then the ballerina says, I think we're, we're on a spaceship and we're headed to another planet. That took care of that. So you're watching the story, and you're thinking to yourself, that's fine. All the ideas I had in my mind are going down the drain. I really like that idea. It takes a lot of hoots, but they give those things out and, and still try to throw people off while you're trying to figure out what is going on. So I really enjoyed that part of it. 
Uh, one of the main things I really like about this episode is the way it looks. In this case, rare for the Twilight Zone, the chintzy behavior of CBS and not giving Rod Sterling any money to do anything with and not be able to create any special effects or do any scenic design that means anything actually helps this episode. It should be like this. It should be as plain and nondescript as can be because it's a lot more frightening that way. There's just nothing around. You're just stuck and you can only walk around the cylinder endlessly and never get out. So that really helped it. My favorite scene in the episode, I agree with Robert, it's, it's that last section there. But I really, what I really admire is the unusual camera angle that they had to use. They're showing all of these characters standing on top of each other on their shoulders. And it really is very realistic. It looks like they're really standing there. We all know that they're all laying down on the floor pretending to be standing on each other. And they simply have the camera down there on the floor. I've never seen that before. And it really is very impressive. I like that. And I wouldn't want to be one of those actors because if you're doing that and your director's telling you, listen, nobody's standing on your shoulders, but you've got to pretend that they are. So they're all grimacing and their shoulders are going up and down. They look like they're going to collapse at any moment. That takes some ability. It's not that easy to do that. You have to really work at that kind of thing, I would imagine. So I really like that unusual camera angle. It's really, really very, very different. Um, at the beginning of the episode when Rod Sterling does his little piece, that's unusual because usually he's standing off on the side somewhere and he comes into camera range and he says what he has to say. In this case, he's actually looking down into this thing and it appears that he's looking down and it's almost a giveaway. Like, what is he looking down into? What is that all about? So if you're paying enough attention, you might wonder, wait a minute, how can he be looking down on these characters? They couldn't really be as big as we think they are. He wouldn't be able to be looking at them that way. So they must be really small. I guess you could take it from there and somehow figure out they were dolls or something like that. I'm not really sure about that. But there's a, what I like about it is just that a lot of things are just given away. And you still can't figure it out because I was, like everybody else, completely uh, uh, fooled at the very end. Now, the other thing about it is inanimate objects, dolls or whatever, do they really have any feelings? How do we know they don't have any feelings? I mean, they were created by humans. They were made by humans. And maybe we invest some feeling in them that we're not aware of. So I have a little story to tell, and this is a true story. When I was uh, very, very small, about maybe five or six years old, my older sister had, like a lot of girls at that time, had dolls. She had two dolls that meant a lot to her. And these weren't just every, the kind of dolls you see today. They were not made out of plastic. I'm not sure exactly. I don't remember exactly what they were, what they were made out Probably ceramic or something. Porcelain, and maybe porcelain. Porcelain, yeah. They were very... Not really. They were very, <laughs> they were very, very, very realistic. And when I say very realistic, I mean it. I mean, their faces were very expressive. These weren't Barbie dolls or anything. They were very expressive, especially their eyes. And they had long eyelashes on them like some humans do. When you, pick, when you pick them up, when you pick them up, their, their eyes opened and closed. And they appeared to be looking at you. I was impressed. I mean, as a boy, I wasn't interested in dolls, but I was impressed by that. Now, my sister treated them as if they were real and had real feelings. I mean, she was really serious about it. And, of course, as you might imagine, she wouldn't let me touch them at all, get around them at all. And she's, and, but when she told me to stay away from them and not be near them, she didn't say, I, you can't touch them because you might break them. She said you might hurt them which is a different story than saying you might break them. She actually treated them as if they had feelings. And after a while, being such a small child, I thought to myself, that's uh, unusual. I didn't think that things that weren't human had feelings. I actually started to think in my own mind, 
maybe she's right. Maybe they do have feelings. So I stayed away from them. So I think that that, that was unusual because most people would say, you know, you don't don't break it or you're going to break it. She never used that word at all. She always said, you're going to hurt them. And that made them seem to me like they were very real. They looked very real. And she treated them that were very real. So this episode always reminds me of that time when I was a little boy. And I had to wonder whether or not my sister knew what she was talking about. It's very unusual. So this. Well, you were a smart kid, Bobby, because some kids would just sneak in there and do something they shouldn't be doing anyway. So. What do you mean? You mean touch them anyway? No, she'd have killed me. Yeah, play with them, go in and play with them. <laughs> That's why I'm break still alive today, because like I didn't do that. She was, wasn't getting around. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and these dolls, if I remember correctly, were not bought in the store. They were handed down from another generation. They were that old. And, That's why uh, she didn't touch them, yeah. Yeah, they I mean, were probably porcelain then if they were handed down from yeah. generations. Yeah, it was really, it was really quite amazing. And they had, uh, their eyes especially were extremely expressive. I mean, it was really remarkable. If you held them up in front of you, they looked like they were looking right at you. And it was very, 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 very odd. So this episode really always reminds me of that. Um, I agree. I gave it a five. I think it's a classic episode. I don't know that I would put it in the Hall of Twilight Zone Hall of Fame. I wouldn't go that far with it. But there are episodes. There are five on our rating scale. Uh, five is a classic episode. And I agree it's a classic episode. But I wouldn't go too far as far as that is concerned, because I have to agree with Robert. There are aspects of it that just kind of are a little tedious. I know one thing. Had this thing gone on, it had been in the hour-long season, oh, it would have been impossible <laughs> to watch. Yeah, well, I agree with that. I agree with that. It would have been unbearable to hear all that whining and to hear the clown, which yeah. makes me want to climb the walls <laughs> yeah. myself. Yeah, this would not have worked as an hour-long episode. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, don't, I don't think much of anything exactly. works as an hour-long episode. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think this As a matter of fact, for people who have MeTV uh, me on, uh, on their cable system, and they show the Twilight Zone every night at 11 o'clock, at least our yep. time, and uh, they're right now in the hour-long season, and every, every night Lynn asks me, which one is the one tonight? And I go, forget it. You don't want to watch this piece of junk. I mean, I just think. Yeah, oh. my wife brought that up. So, yeah, I thought Tori yeah. were in season four on there. So, it's like, there's only I, one uh, good show from season four that I would rate a five out of five. But you'll have to wait to get to I tell you. Oh, really? Well, I, there's only one that I like, and I'll tell you right now. And that's the one uh, with Adolf Hitler in it. Where, there's, where, where that, the street guy is turning into Adolf Hitler. Uh, I oh, like yeah. that. I like that episode. I think that's pretty good. I have no idea what you would give a five. I probably won't agree with it, but that's. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What about Thursday <laughs> to leave for home? That's okay, but I wouldn't give it a five. That's okay. Yeah. Oh come on, Thursday to leave for. Oh good lord. Cancel the move. Cancel the move. Well, you know the other one that I like that was an hour long episode, and uh, maybe I wouldn't give it a five, but. Uh, the uh, one with Martin Balsam about the wax figures. Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, the wax, I, oh man, that was a scary It reminded me of another story from a series that had that same similar situation I like that. that was yeah. a frightening episode. That was a frightening episode. And I may not give it a five, but I thought that was really, really a good episode. And Thursday well, home and, you know. Well, not to get off on the tangent about this since we're not up to that point, but right, right, right. the worst part about this season is that it is, this, the series is winding down and it shows, it shows its wear. And then you have to have that dreadful season five where there are some really classic episodes, but boy, when you get to the end of the series, that is really dreadful. Yeah. And all I'm looking forward to is reviewing Come Wonder With Me because I know that's the one oh, I want to do the most. The one I'm looking forward to review is Jezebel. <laughs> uh. 
That's it. I believe that was on just about a, a week ago. I think it was only yep. last week. Yep. And I tried desperately to avoid. It. Anyway, getting back to this, <laughs> it is an event. It is an inventive episode, and that you know I say that all the time about Twilight Zone because today in 2012, it's just TV is so bad. They somebody puts a show on, and within two weeks, there's 12 more of them on, and they all look the same. So I always appreciate when there's something new and something different that doesn't look like anything else. And this is one of those episodes that uh, you can certainly say that about. It's really good, and like I said, I like, I like the, the unusual camera angle and that kind of stuff, and you do get involved after a while, and considering that's only about a 23-minute uh, story, you almost you feel after a while as if you're there. Uh, one other thing that Lynn mentioned, and that's I like the ending very much. It's a nice ending. Uh, I'm not talking about the fact Definitely. that they're dolls. That's surprising. But I like the ending when you show the, uh, the ballerina taking her hand and putting it on the major's hand, and she's got tears in her eyes. That's really... That's yeah, a very that's nice touch. Yeah. I don't know whether that was in the original story or whether Rod Serling inv- uh, added that when he adapted it for TV, but that was, that was a very nice touch. So it's, a very, awesome. it's one of those feel-good episodes because it ends and you're told that, oh, they were discarded, but they'll be loved again by children who really need them, and that makes everybody feel good. So <laughs> I'll give it a five. Not a Hall of Fame, but it gets a five from me. Lynn? Okay. Lynn, that uh, brings up that episode of um, Amazing Stories where um, you guys expressed about the hands touching. Remember the episode with John Lithgow, who turns into a doll? Because oh, he's yeah, fascinated yeah, yeah. with that one. Oh, yeah, and God, then towards the end. That. Oh, my and God. And towards the end, they hold hands. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot all about that Amazing Stories. Steven Spielberg. Yeah, that was that was really a, that was a good uh, series. I, I was disappointed when they canceled that. I really was, but I used uh, to watch it. Yeah, I did too. I was disappointed when they canceled it. I thought it was good. Okay, well, Dave. Okay, well, I haven't got a great deal to say about the episode because, without giving any secrets away to the listeners listening to the recording, I wasn't quite sure we were doing things tonight. But there you go. But the whole mystery day behind it. I have That's seen it in the thing. past, um, oh, and I will just. And I will comment about the actual episode in a moment. But um, yes, this reminded me of, of a, a few other stories. In fact, a couple of other Twilight Zone episodes. Of course, it reminds me of the one from season one. That's episode 34, The After Hours. Um, yeah, the, um, yeah. The girl who goes into the shop to buy a present. And it turns out that she has to go up to the top floor where all the uh, the mannequins are. Uh, so, uh, I mean, we, we've already done that episode, so I don't think it's a spoiler. Anybody who's listened to the previous Talking Twilight episodes will know how we covered that one. Another one was in uh, Series 2, Episode 44, uh, The Lateness of the Hour, where a young girl's with a family and her father, and uh, they seem very keen on robots. Mm-hmm. She's a robot, All right? Uh, yeah, uh, well... Okay. <laughs> All right, it's out there. But, but the whole point oh, was that, that. Although, although, they, although they weren't dolls, it had that similar vibe to me in a way. I mean, all right, the, it wasn't a question of not knowing where they were, but they didn't know who they were or what they were. Uh, you know, they, they didn't have that awareness. Um, and, of course, the, that reminds me, in, in this idea has been used before, not necessarily the dolls theme, but the idea of people, you know, it starts with people, uh, you know, waking up and not knowing who or what or why or where they are. Uh, I'm sure um, 
Robert will remember um, the Buffy episode. I think it's called Tabula Rasa Rosa. Tabula Rosa, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Uh, this Tabula is where Rosa. They're, they're in a magic shop and a, a spell that's cast, which is supposed to make one of them lose a bad memory, means they all lose the memory, but they they all wake up in the shop. And then from the clues in the shop... They're trying to find out, you know, who is which. And, and it, it involves some very amusing things, because if, if you know the characters from Buffy, um, one of them is a vampire called Spike, uh, and he has an English accent, as does uh, Buffy's watcher, Giles, who has an English accent. So they assume that they're father and son, and because they're in the magic shop, they assume that they enjoy, uh, you know, they uh, uh together, and, and then... Uh, uh, you know, uh, Spike looks inside his coat because he, because he's been a vampire, he'd, he'd stolen this coat or something, and he, he he finds out his name's called Randy, and he's he's upset with his dad. So why do you give me a stupid name like Randy? And uh, and of course, Buffy doesn't know that she's got uh, uh, powers. So the whole point is, although they're not trying to get out, they're actually trying to find out what the situation is. Another one again. Posting this more towards Robert, uh, there's a, a very early uh, Doctor Who from the classic series with, with the second Doctor, Jamie and Zoe, called the Mind Robber, uh, and they end up not so much not knowing things, but they end up in like a toy land, and they have a, a series of things. Uh, so, uh, or about Night so Terror the, that just aired the, the, not too long ago. Right, indeed, yep. yes, uh, from the newer series, yeah. Uh, and um, there was one other one. Where has it gone? Oh, yes, the the movie, Night at the Museum. Um, you oh, can yeah, argue that yeah. That's got a similar idea, although, again, they've not lost their memories, but um, you, you have this situation where they come to life when human beings aren't around. Of course, that's been used lots of times uh, in other things. Uh, so, going back to the actual episode, um, my memory's not that fresh about it, but I do remember the reveal being pretty good. Um, I think uh, you, you could guess it a little bit before, because you were either in the Oval Office, or you had these very curved walls, I seem to remember, which sort of made it an unusual thing. Of course, that, that led to the speculation that they were in some sort of captivity, and, and I agree with the... Uh, Bobby, although it was actually expressed, once it's expressed by the cast, you assume it can't be the exact answer. But, you know, you had this feeling as though they might be in a land of giants or, or, or something on that part. Um, what else? Not a, not a really great deal from me this time, but, um, of course, uh, William Wyndham, is it, who played the... Uh, Wyndham, yeah. Ma- yeah. Ma- most amazing thing I've read about him, yeah, he had five wives. <laughs> My five I didn't know, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's quite. And of course, uh, again, uh, well, more than Robert, people in the room, uh, I, I remember him from uh, playing Commodore Decker in a Star Trek episode called The Doomsday Machine. Oh, yeah, Machine, The Doomsday Machine. Yep. yep. Where okay. he played this uh, absolutely obsessed captain, uh, brilliantly played it, and, uh, I, you know, that was something that I really remember. Fast. Helmsman, hold your course. Stand by all phaser banks. Aye, aye, sir.
<laughs> of course, if you look at his uh, bibliography, he's been in absolutely um, everything from fugitive to invaders, invaders right. to Mission Impossible. Awesome. I mean, he was a career actor on TV, Streets of San Francisco, and right. all sorts and also, of things. And remember also, the, remember the farmer's daughter with Inger Stevens, another uh, another Twilight Zone alumni, Inger Stevens. Right. Yeah, it was also in, uh, uh, the other end of the scale. He was in Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, so oh, <laughs> he's done it all. I didn't know that. So, so really, uh, I am skating around with little bits and pieces of information because my my uh, recollection of the episode is rather hazy. But I've got a feeling that I would agree exactly with what's been said in the room if I rewatched it. I'd be sort of fast forwarding it. <laughs> Through the first fifteen minutes, uh, probably for the for the denouement uh, and the last five minutes. So uh, I'm going to give it a middle of the road rating of three, and that is a, mem- uh, a rating given on memory only. Okay. And Rick. Yep. Uh, get right. you in there so you can get your hellhound going there. Yep. That's <laughs> right. You got your hellhound uh, to walk. Yeah. Anywho, um, I don't know. I have I. For some reason, I used to love this episode. I saw it recently, and I don't know. I was kind of bored by it. I don't know. Maybe it was the mood I was in when I was watching. And I'm one who happens to like character development episodes and stuff. I don't know. Like I said, I for some reason, I became very bored with it. Which is unusual. But you used to for like it. You used to like it, huh? Yeah. Um, maybe I've seen it too much. I don't know. We well, watched this lesson there for you with this episode, then, Rick? Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, like I said um, um, two weeks ago, um, I'm one to talk because nothing really happens in Harrow House. Well, it does, <laughs> but it uh, it's hard to explain. Anywho. Um, but, um, no, nothing wrong with the acting and stuff. I just, like I said, you know, uh, maybe I've seen it too much. Uh, maybe I wasn't in the right mood for it the last time. I don't know. Uh, I, I'd still give it a four just because of the acting. Yeah. Yeah. The acting was very good on everybody's part. I think definitely was, it was great acting. So you give it a four, okay? And Ed, how about you? Okay. Well, uh, before I start, I just want to say, uh, this is aimed at Robert, who played the clips. Just want to say, I donate all creepy talking dolls and other cursed items to Goodwill. So uh, I never, I've never been, I never been cursed, thankfully. The frugal shoppers at Goodwill, well, they're on their own. Anyway, uh, Robert, by the way, I love the Toy Story tie-in. That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, all right. Good night. Guys. That was that was great. I loved I loved the clips you had there. Night, Rick, and thanks. We'll go ahead and I'll check on that. Go ahead and have that one re-listen. And I'll re-listen too for it, okay? All right. Thank you. Bye. No problem. All right. Bye, Rick. And we'll get back to um, Ed here, our friend today in the uh, Talking Twilight Zone show here. <laughs> Go ahead, Ed. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. <laughs> That's okay. Don't don't worry. <laughs> yeah, Rick was leaving. Rick's leaving to walk his dog, who he calls All right, the hell yeah, Have a good walk. It's his friend. Have a good walk about. <laughs> All right. It's so. his friend. <laughs> Do you mean that was a dog in search of an exit? 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, his friend. Rick and the Hellhound walking away into the distance. Go ahead, Ed. So, all right. So as for my opinion on this episode, um, I got to tell you that I loved it. Um, I saw this first when I was about nine years old in syndication, and I can tell you that the ending genuinely spooked me. Um, I saw it a few years ago again and loved it, and I saw it last week again, and I still love it. Um, I love the dialogue. It, it you know, bored some people, I guess, but I thought it built the situation. Um, by the way, Lynn, you said the bagpipes would be torture to you. Oh. Some would consider being locked in a cylinder with a clown for a seemingly endless time a nightmare in itself. So, no. <laughs> and he was he was annoying, wasn't he? <laughs> he was annoying, but Murray Matheson, who played this clown, he he was he was genuinely annoying. You know, the living crud out of the major. But the um, he gets my personal nomination for the best actor in this episode. Yeah, he, he nailed it. He was funny oh, well, at times. He was he was likable in his own weird way with his sharp sarcasm. But I loved his performance. Uh, the character was annoying, but the, as an actor, he did a great job with it. Um, oh, I agree with that, especially at the end when he's just standing there looking up at the top of the, after the guy falls over, you know, after yeah. the maker falls over, and he's just a oh, very brave man, you know, not a not a very bright one. Exactly. But, you know, <laughs> you know, and he just has. And that coming from a clown. Exactly. With a flower on his head, thing. that's very bright. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And he has like this totally emotional feeling, you know, looking up and he's like not, you know, very brave man, but not a very bright one. I'm like, oh, you know, this guy has feelings, you know, he has emotions. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and the major played by uh, William Wyndham, um, he he did a great job with this. His frustration just bleeds through the screen. He's, he's getting, you know, his claustrophobia builds up, you know. He's an, he's an exceptional actor. He really He really did a great job with this. I mean, at the time, you think about, some of the actors that were in other episodes were really lacking. Um, he just, I thought he was great for the part. Um, the, and then the complacency of the others around them, you know, they're just like, oh, whatever, we've been here for a long time. We've given up, you know, the bag, I, the bag, bagpiper, which is uh, Clark Allen says, uh, this is the universe here. You know, they just given up to the fact that this is where they are. This is where they're going to live. Uh, and it's in contrast to the major who's just going nuts. I mean, he's dying. He wants to get out of this place. No, no matter what, I, it just makes banging it, on the wall and everything again. Banging on the walls, yeah. They, and they're saying, "Well, we've tried this before. We've been, we've been in here for a long, long time." You know, and you get the sense that, you know, the characters, the the the, the toys that we find out they are in the end, they have a different sense of time. Obviously, an endless endless time to them is probably a morning inside of a bin. You know, um, yeah. but they do it. They do an awesome job of building. You know, a puzzling situation through you know, the interactions of the character. The, the, the sheer simplicity of the, you know, the situation and the set they used. You know, a very simple, you know, uh, a cylinder. Oh, it couldn't um, have been plainer. I mean, they couldn't have... I mean, you, you're going to talk about cutting costs. I mean, they yeah, couldn't have gotten exactly. any cheaper than what they did for that episode. Right, but it worked so well for this. You know, exactly, exactly. You, know, you didn't know what it was until the very end. And it, and it could be anywhere. It could be limbo or, or as, the, as the major says, it's hell, you know. Um, or it could be a dungeon, like the ballerina says, and it really leaves you guessing until that final, you know, powerful moment at the end where you, you finally see that they're all dolls in a donation bin, and the situation, you know, becomes crystal clear. The mannequins, by the way, the mannequins they, they had at the end, I love those mannequins. They were, there was, that was a neat, a neat thing to add at the very end that, you know, gave you the, the, the clear picture of what they are. You know, they're, they're not people, yeah. they're, just, they're just toys. And um, the fact that they crafted them to look like the actors and not just generic 
you know, toy faces, that that's what really made the ending great Wasn't for me. Wasn't that the, great? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the tear on the on the ballerina's eye at the end. That was that was fantastic. That was for me, I was, it was great. I mean, for me, the ending makes this a strong five. I love this episode. It was really good. Yeah, I mean, when you saw the hand go down, over yeah. the major's hand, and then the the tear, oh, my God, that couldn't couldn't have been more, hmm. you know, emotional right there. I mean, that was perfect. Absolutely yeah. perfect. I love, love this. So, okay, it looks like uh, you gave it a five, right? Right, a five, yep. Okay, so we've got two, uh, we've got a four. Rick give it and three fives. Okay. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, at least it, it is a good enough episode that nobody uh, trashed it. And uh, Bear Bear Fan Ron gives it a four and a half. And, and Felix gave one, two. Felix gives it a four. Yep. Felix gives it a four. Yeah. So we're. We're yeah, we're doing pretty good with this one. This is a great episode. And yeah, this I'm, episode did pretty good, Lynn. Um, over at the side here, it went three, four, four and a half, and five. There was nothing below three, so oh, yeah. yeah, it did very well. Yeah, absolutely. And then our next episode on the twenty third. Oh God, uh, <laughs> quality of mercy. Oh God, tell me I don't have to. I might you sound you sound strained. I may have to be sick that day. <laughs> I can't. Oh, it, 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 it's not strange. Well, oh, damn it. For that, we'll so, have to give her a little pills, music. Pills before swine. <laughs> Just Oy calm vey. down, man. All right. Okay. The 23rd. <laughs> Two weeks from now, on the 23rd, we're going to be reviewing the quality of mercy with uh, Dean Stockwell. And, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Not quite uh, the Not like there's any prejudice in that episode. Huh? No, 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 no. You didn't get anything from my tone of voice, did you know? <laughs> we get to see Spock without the eyebrows. If Dean Stockwell's in it... Uh, Robert, I'm expecting at least one quantum leap. Quantum leap. leap. Yeah, I I was thinking that too. So, yeah. and I got ahead and, and typed in the chat our website at the um, Twilight Zone Hall of Fame. It does work, so I just tried it out. And from there, you can also get to the Yahoo um, site as well. So when oh. you get there, and if you want to check out the Yahoo site, just click on. Uh, um, to revisit the sign, and I have, right to add, there. I have to add uh, reviews to it, which I got sidetracked when we found out that we were going to be moving back to Pennsylvania. So I've been really busy, and I haven't had a chance to go back on the site, but I can do that this week because we're getting things together here. So, um, but our reviews is on um, Once Upon a Time because I tried that one and it did work. So if you want to download our reviews, this. Um, while you listen to Once Upon a Time, you can click on um, the downloaded documents there. Right. And um, you can read our reviews. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, the 23rd, two weeks from now, June 23rd, we will be reviewing A Quality of Mercy. And I do hope to see everybody. I'm, I'm glad we had a full house today. Look at all the people. Here. This is wonderful. I know. Wow. Great. Oh, and oh, hi, Parker. I'm sorry that I didn't say hi to you and guest five as well, but I'm just glad that everyone's here, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in two weeks, and we'll be back to have another fun discussion. 
What a quality of mercy. I love how you put that. Fun discussion. Yeah, fun discussion. And just to um, remind people, the quality of mercy was also used in the Twilight Zone, the movie, the very beginning with Dick Morrow. Right. So yes, it was. That's something we'll talk about, a, too. Yeah, they called it something different, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And poor Vic Morrow died during the uh, filming of that. Oh, very sad. Yep, very tragic. Him, him and two children. Helicopter crash. Right? What's that? Yeah, the helicopter crash. Right? Yeah, the yep. helicopter what crashed right. into them. Yeah, right. It, it it crashed into them. The two children and and Vic Morrow. They all three of them died during that. And it's, what's amazing to me that episode was a complete episode. I mean, they they filmed it from beginning to end, and you know, I always wondered he died during the filming of it. So somehow. I I guess uh, and uh, well Rick's not here right now, but I was going to say that sometimes I guess they shoot endings of shows before beginnings or middles. But he was there for the whole episode mm. from beginning to end, and even though he died during it, the, the whole yeah, episode I did made go it. to trial, but nobody was really held responsible right for the accident. Right, that, so yeah, yeah, that's what it was ruled. Accident. Yeah, but and he made it through the whole the whole episode showed him. So I don't know how how. I guess they managed to get it all done before he got killed. But anyway, all right, so enough of that morbid stuff. And and we'll be back in two weeks, and I hope to see everyone here. So have a terrific rest of the weekend, folks. All right, guys, have a good one. Okay. Talk to you you soon. Bye. Bye, Bye. everybody. Bye. Bye. And before we do the outro, let's um, play Little Manhattan Transfer and their version of Twilight Zone. From 1979. Ooh, I never heard that. See y'all next time. Okay.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.